0: This morning, I want us to continue a series we began last week entitled Disciple Shift. Um, There may be some things that we still need to change. Some things not in, you know, we talk about what we want to be people who restore New Testament Christianity. And I think that we have done that. I, I really do. I think that we have restored the forms of New Testament Christianity. Just a little bit ago, we took the Lord's Supper because that's what New Testament Christians did on the first day of the week. Um, those forms have been restored. But I also think that there may be some things not in form, but in function that we still need to make some changes. That's a process of maturity that there may be where I am today. There may needs to be some shifts that I make in my thinking that will help me to come better in line with the thinking of Jesus. And last week we talked about some shifts in membership that maybe we need to make. This morning we want to talk about some shifts in stewardship that we may need to make. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge, he's he's probably the the iconic picture of... Who is a man that is consumed with greed, that is consumed with uh, money, and, and you know, we know the whole story and, and how, you know, he was visited by those three ghosts and they showed him past, present, and future, and, and by having a new vision, by, by having his eyes opened and seeing things from a different perspective, it changed his whole outlook. It just took a shift in his perspective to change him from being a greedy man to a man of generosity. I know that talking about money is very, very touchy. Um, We're very independent. We're a very independent people, and one of the things you don't talk about is is my money. It's my money. And we don't want to be lectured about how we use it and how we spend it and how much we give. And, and it's nobody's business what I put in the collection plate. And, and we're very, you know, sometimes touchy about that. Back several years ago, there was a man I was studying with. He was not a Christian. And we were making great progress uh, with him and his wife. And we learned that um, while we were studying, he had cancer, and it was very fast-moving. And uh, he was going downhill very quickly. And we were making great progress, and I was very hopeful for him. And he came to church one Sunday when he was still able to come. And the sermon that Sunday was on stewardship. And he went home, and we didn't see him next Sunday. And we didn't see him the Sunday after. And so I went to his house, and I I knocked on his door. I had somebody with me, and we went in and talked a little bit. And I said, hey, you know, we've been missing you and and would like to continue our studies. Um, Are are, are you up to that? And and he said, no. Just real abrupt, no. And we asked why, and he said, y'all are just after money. And I said, what, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, I was at church two weeks ago, and you talked about money. You talked about how it was everybody's responsibility to give. You talked about the collection on the first day of the week. And you went through all that, and that's what religion is. It's just a racket trying to take people's money, and I don't want any part of it. And we left there that day with him thinking in that fashion. And about two weeks later, he passed away outside of Christ. And the reason he really rejected Jesus was because of what Jesus said about money. It's a tragic shame. But you know what? I can't be... And I think that because of the, the, the tentativeness that we have taken on this subject of stewardship, because everybody's independent, it's my money, and we don't want to offend anybody or hurt their feelings, so we've, we've shied away from the subject. You know, the, I don't know if you're aware of this, but preachers have jokes about it that every time they preach on giving, the brethren show them the next week. The contribution goes down, and it's just kind of a running joke, like, um, you know, you're not going to tell me how to do my money. Uh, but, you know, because of our leeriness to talk about stewardship, I think that we have allowed for some incorrect thinking to take place. Because of our failure to courageously approach a biblical topic and say, this is what Jesus taught. We've allowed people the, 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 the liberty to embrace ideas that are not biblical. And maybe there are some shifts that need to be made in our thinking concerning stewardship. And I'd like to share some of those shifts with you this morning that we may need to make. Number one, we may need to make a shift in what we give. Have you ever considered that? God wants us more than He wants our money. If you have your Bible, open it to first or second Corinthians chapter eight, because we're going to be looking at chapter eight and chapter nine a couple times in this lesson, but open up to second Corinthians chapter eight. And look at verse 5. Paul was talking about the Macedonian brethren... Um, there was a contribution he was trying to round up for the poor among the saints in Judea, and he, he's, he, it's an effort to help the poor, and it's also an effort to solidify Jew-Gentile relationships. And this is a big part of his ministry. This was something that he was really uh, a, a part of. And, and he said, you know, we went to these Macedonian brethren, and oh, they were so poor. They, they were, they were They were in deep poverty. But as Terry just read a little bit ago, they were willing to give above their ability to give. They had a willing mind to give to this cause because, and the answer and the reason is because, verse 5, not only did they give as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves. You see, it's hard sometimes to give because it it's it's we we haven't given ourselves we're not sold out to the person to whom we're giving and when we get to that point everything else falls in place if i can give myself first then I, then the money comes but when i try to give without giving myself it's hard to let go of that money because i have other things i have other priorities But if I can learn to give myself first, that's that's where we need to be. Folks, if you evaluate, I'm not evaluating your money. The elders aren't evaluating your giving. But if you were to sit down, just you and God, and evaluate your giving, would you be okay with that? Maybe a better question is, would God be okay with it? Maybe it's been a while since you've done that. Maybe, maybe it's been several years, and you've just given the same amount year after year after year after year, and you haven't given into any consideration to raises and so forth. And if if we learn to give ourselves, we'll periodically look at our giving and say, "Is is this sufficient?" Is this meeting the needs, the demands of the church? Are we able to reach out and do the things that we're wanting to do? Or are we having to pull back because we don't have enough enough resources? If you have trouble giving, can I make this final recommendation? Remember this point, that your investment determines your interest. You see... It's hard to give to something that you don't care anything about. But if you're invested in that thing, then it's easy. And that's what God is saying and what Paul's saying is, not only did you give money, but first you gave of yourselves. And that's why it was easy for them then to give the money. Because they were invested in it. I've told you this before, but you know, my parents were some of the most ardent, Little League Baseball attenders that you have ever met. They went to Little League Baseball games right and left. I mean, and they sat there on those little, you remember those little folding chairs that had those straps, you know? They'd sit there for hours and watch Little League Baseball. But, you know, I don't think they've gone to a game in 40 years. You know why? Because they don't have an investment in it anymore. You see, they went when I played. That's their son. Of course they're going to go because they have an investment in it. And they watched those games and endured those games because their son played. But when he no longer played, they no longer had an interest. If you want a greater interest in the church, if you say, you know what, I know, I know, I know I need to do better. And I just can't, I can't muster the, wherewithal to do better. I I know I should give more, but I just can't bring myself, because this and this and this and this. You want to get over that hump? Invest yourself. Give of yourself first. Make that shift. Stop giving your money and making that the end all, and give yourself, and your money will follow. It's just the way it works. Investment will determine your interest. Here's another shift we need to make, or may need to make, and it's a shift in how we give. Maybe we need to make a shift in how we give. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Well, here's what we need to do. Our giving needs to be a sacrifice, and and we need to give till it hurts. Man, that is so wrong-headed. That is not it at all. I've seen children give till it hurts, haven't you? Have you ever seen a parent give a child a dollar bill or or maybe a quarter to put in the collection plate? And so here comes the plate, and that child has that shiny quarter or that brand-new crisp dollar bill, and you pass that plate in front of that child, and you say, okay, put it in there. I don't want to put my quarter in that plate. That's my quarter. And the parent will end up taking their hand and doing like that, trying to shake it out of their hand. I've seen that kind of giving. That's giving when it hurts. I don't want to do this, but I've got to. That's not what the Lord wants of us. When we plan to come here to this morning, when you're sitting at home writing out that check or whatever it is, as you make preparation for worship, I hope that's not the mindset. In fact, the Bible teaches something totally different. If that's it, we need to make a shift. God loves a cheerful giver. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what I find interesting? Because I've heard people say, Give till it hurts. I've heard that. But the word for cheerful is a Greek word. And you can see it there on on the screen. It is a word, hilaros. Does that sound vaguely familiar to an English word? It's the Greek word from which we get our English word, hilarious. Far from giving till it hurts... We need to make a shift in our thinking and give hilariously. What if we were a people that gave hilariously? We gave to an extent that people thought, are you crazy? Man, that is crazy. Are you you out of your mind? It's hilarious. It's cheerful. It's joyful. That's the kind of giving that, that we need to give. And I'll tell you what, when we give hilariously, when we give cheerfully, it makes all the difference in the world. You see, that child, there's a disconnect between that child and that basket. You know, it's not, the child's not bad. They just don't understand. And that same child, if you said, Mama needs a dollar, that child would reach up and give it to you. Because they understand you and they love you. But there's a disconnect between that collection plate and God and the contribution they're giving. And so it's a little harder sometimes to let loose. Hey, when we learn what it is and who we're serving and why we give, it's easier. It's not hard. It's not something I begrudge. It's a privilege. When your children have a birthday, do you ever get them presents? When you go to get your child a present, it's their birthday, or maybe it's Christmas. Do you say this? Oh, great, it's my son's birthday. I'm going to have to go buy him something. Or my daughter, I'm going to have to go buy her something because it's her birthday. We don't do that. It's a joy because we love them and we want to give to them. It's a gift of love because of relationship. Maybe how we give needs to have a shift. Maybe we need to think about giving and the one behind the giving. Why? Who, to whom are we giving? It's the God of heaven. It's the God who has done so much for me. Another area in which we may need to make a shift is in how much we give. <clears throat> Again, that's a personal decision. The passage that was just read in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says, upon the first day of the week, the disciples, um, you know, they, they were commanded to lay by and store as God has prospered them. The passage in Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 says, let each one give purposefully. As he is determined in his own heart, I don't have any business telling you how much you're supposed to give to the cause of Christ. That's between you and God. But it is between you and God. And we'll have to give an account to God someday for how we give. And maybe there's a shift that needs to be made with reference to how much we give. Sometimes, have you ever, again, have you ever heard this? Every little bit helps. No, it doesn't. Sometimes, but not most of the time. Sometimes what's called for is great, deep sacrifice. And a little bit won't help at all. Sometimes what is needed is people to to die to self, and to give their all in order for something to succeed. And anything less will not succeed. It'll fail. I think sometimes we have tried to salve our conscience with that phrase, every little bit helps. And even sometimes when we pray, and and I'm not knocking anybody's prayers at the Lord's Supper, but I, I remember Johnny Ramsey a number of years ago said, he said the one time we always tell the truth when we pray is when we get around the 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 table and to take up the collection and the man prays and he says um, we're about to give back a small and he says that we emphasize small a small portion of what you gave to us this week and, and sometimes that may be the truth maybe we need to reevaluate how much we give and again it, it's it's not sufficient sometimes just to say. I'm going to give a little bit. And after all, God has to be happy with that because every little bit helps. Well, it wouldn't have helped. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Excuse me, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, there's a scenario that has just taken place. People from all over the world came to Jerusalem because of Pentecost, the Passover... And they obey the gospel. They hear the gospel preached, and so they hang around to learn this radically new religion. What's the church? There are three thousand souls that are baptized on the day of Pentecost, and they begin to grow exponentially. How are they going to handle these people? They're out of house and home. They don't live there. They're, They're travelers. There's a great need. How in the world are we going to take care of all these people from all over the world who have come in and now they're learning? Before they go back home, they've got to be fed. They've got to be housed. They've got. To be, what are we going to do to take care of this people? These people. Acts chapter four. The church said, "Whatever the church said, whatever I own is not really mine." Barnabas, he had some land, he sold it, said, here, take this money, I just sold some land, take this money and and help the needs of those that uh, are here. And everybody had that same attitude, excepting Ananias and Sapphira that you read about in chapter 5, but these people made not just a little bit, they made huge sacrifices When has a need come up at church? Or if a need came up at church, would it be plausible that we go home and sell a car? That we go home and sell a boat? That we go home and downsize? So that this need can be met? That was the attitude of the first century church. They just didn't give a little. They gave sacrificially because of their involvement in the cause. Sometimes we need to give a whole lot more than just a little. Um, I remember hearing a story a number of years ago about a man who was uh, on the mountains. The whole village was down in the plain right on the coastline, and, and they were farming, and several hundred people were down there in this field farming. But the man was up on top of the hill. And he looked out at the ocean, and he saw a huge swell in the water. It was a tsunami. And it was coming, and the people down in the valley, they could not see it. And he was so high up, he couldn't get anybody's attention. He couldn't yell. If he would have run down there, he would have perished along with them. How in the world is he going to notify and save several hundred people, his fellow countrymen, who are working and oblivious to the impending danger. You know what he did? His house was on the top of the hill. His barns were at the top of the hill. And he set them on fire. Because he knew that if they saw the fire, the community would come running to help him. And that's what he did. And when they saw the flames, the community that was in the valley gathered up and they ran up the hill to assist him in putting out the fires and they were saved from the tsunami. But at a great cost to that one man who did more than just a little bit. He sacrificed a lot. Sometimes love demands that we do more than a little bit. And we may need to make a shift in our thinking there. And one final area, we may need to make a shift in our thinking concerning whose money it is. It's the question of, is it uh, my money or is it God's money? Is it a question of stewardship or is it a question of ownership? I'll tell you what the Bible says. In Psalm 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Even all the people, they belong to Him. There's nothing that we have that we own. It's God's. And I'm just steward. I'm just a steward. He's entrusted that to me and says, Take care of this for me. And it's very reminiscent of the parable that Jesus told in in Matthew chapter twenty five. Do you, do you remember what he said? He, he he gave the man five talents, two talents, and one talent, and he expected them to do something with a talent. Was a is like saying a dollar. It was is a unit of money, and he gave one guy five dollars, two dollars, one dollar. He expected them to use that money so that when he came back, he saw progress the one guy said I I didn't do anything with it and he was the one that was punished God has expectations for how we use what he's blessed us with Uh, it's not mine it's not I mean I am sold out in first Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 It says that I don't belong to myself anymore. I I belong to God. Everything about me is His. He purchased me with the blood of His Son. Thus, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, um, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And as he talks to the Philippians, he says, you know, man, I am in a straight between two. I'd like to just go ahead and have this over with and go on and be with the Lord. And But there's part of me that I know I need to stay and help you. I'm in a difficult place, between a rock and a hard place. But I'll tell you this, if I die, I'm the Lord's. And if I live, I'm the Lord's. Everything about me, I'm sold out to Jesus. Maybe we need to make a shift in the way we view whose money is it? When the church has a need, we're not talking about you making a sacrifice of your money. We're asking that you use your stewardship wisely and give back to the cause of God. You know, Wednesday night, um, Jonathan talked to us about grace. We'll, We'll never earn, pay back God for what He's done. The service that we render, the work that we perform, because He saved us, that's why we work. We are His workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. That's why we work. But I tell you, when you realize who God is and what He's done for you, and you have that firmly rooted in your mind, it's so much easier to give. When you give out of a relationship and not out of obligation, it's so much easier to give. And I want to close by just simply saying this. Our stewardship may need to have some shifts in the way we think about some things. I'm proud of this congregation personally. I know that there's great sacrifice that is made here on a continuing basis, as Terry mentioned in his talk before um, the collection was taken up. Uh, Since we've been here, and I'm sure it's the case before we got here, all I know is that any time a need has been mentioned, the church has rallied to meet those needs. I think it's just the way we operate. I think it's because of your love. There are continuous needs... And whether we meet or don't meet those needs does have a bearing on my relationship to God. And that's what I want to close with. I'm not telling you how to give in terms of, you know, here's how much money you need to give. That, like I said, is a decision between you and God. But here's the implications. Here are the ramifications. In Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, there was a man who had an abundance And he built bigger barns to put his abundance in. Nothing wrong with building bigger barns. Nothing wrong with being rich. But the text says he was poor toward God. He had all this money. He had this great bank accounts. And he died a fool, the text says. Unprepared to meet God. In James chapter 3... There's another illustration that's given that is very graphic. He says to brethren there, I know some of you have riches. And you know what? Let me tell you something about those riches. Some of you have garments that are moth-eaten. And some of you have coins that are corroded. The imagery there is that they, they have hoarded You know, they've got these clothes piled up someplace. They're just storing it. They're not using it. It's just set aside. And 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 the moths get to it and eat holes in it. Here they're storing all this stuff, and the moths are destroying it, and they've got money, and they've got it so hoarded and and put aside someplace, and, and the money is just even beginning to corrode. He says, let me tell you something. That rust on your money will be a witness against you in the judgment. That's sobering. That's sobering to churches collectively, and that's sobering to individuals. I wonder when Jesus comes back, how many churches will have millions and millions of dollars in their bank accounts that were never spent in trying to spread the gospel to the lost, but they're drawing interest waiting for a rainy day but never being used to advance the cause of Christ. I'm not talking about poor stewardship and being irresponsible, but I'm talking about that that hoarding that sometimes takes place. How many individuals will die? How many Christians what will the bank accounts of Christians look like when Jesus comes? How many millions and millions and millions of dollars will be just sitting in a bank account never used? to the glory of God. I'm not saying, again, be irresponsible with your retirement, be irresponsible to the cares and needs of your family, be irresponsible to the the collective responsibilities that we have as a church, but I am saying don't be greedy because the Lord will hold us responsible. The rust will bear witness against us someday. To be a disciple of Jesus calls for radical changes, and we may need to make a change in our stewardship. I hope that what has been said today, you weigh it, you look at it, it's not what I've come up with. These are the teachings of Jesus. He calls us to this, and I believe that we will, and we are the people that will rise to that occasion and make those shifts that maybe are necessary in our lives to pursue that kingdom agenda. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, but you need to obey the gospel, why don't you do that? Again, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you've never done that, use this time right now. The the Spirit of God invites you, the church, the bride of Christ invites you right now. They're saying, come. We'll rejoice with you as we baptize you into Christ. If you've already done that but unfaithful, uh, there are changes you need to make in your life. You just need strength maybe and you want the prayers of your brethren for encouragement. We invite you to come as we stand together and sing.